The Oklahoma City Thunder fall to the Minnesota Timberwolves in what was an interesting game. We'll talk about what went wrong and preview the Nuggets game all coming up. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and writer, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LO Thunderpod. Email the show, LOThunderpod at gmail.com. On today's show, we're diving into the Oklahoma City Thunder losing to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Should there be changes coming? Is this fatigue-based? What went wrong? And possibly the Thunder needing a reset in this one, previewing the game against Denver as well. But everyone is going to be talking about the Thunder losing in this game, 107 to 101, in a very emotional game that was charged up. The atmosphere was fantastic. It had a playoff-like feel, number one spot in the West on the line. It was all right there. And the bottom line is this was a great game. Like This was a great basketball game. Forgetting about the emotions that you might have, as a Thunder fan watching this, or as a Timberwolves fan watching this, and just as a fan of the sport of basketball, this was a fantastic game. The Thunder never got down by more than 10 points. They never led by more than seven points. 24 lead changes, six ties. Minnesota out-rebounds Oklahoma City 45-38. The Thunder have 12 turnovers to Minnesota's 13. Uh, Minnesota one points in the paint, 46 to 42. Minnesota one second chance points, 15 to 11. Each team only had seven fast break points each. So when you look at these, you know, stats and, and you break them down, right? The Thunder did not force an obscene amount of turnovers like they typically do, and also were only a plus one in that column. The, the game flow dictated that there was rarely fast break opportunities. The Thunder typically dominate fast uh, break points. And the Thunder typically dominate points in the paint. This was, of course, a much closer uh, and narrow loss there uh, by just four, you know, a couple points, four points in the points in the paint battle. So those are all things that the Thunder, when they're hitting on all cylinders, typically thrive at that they just, you know, were not able to get the edge in in this game. And we're going to talk about why that is and and break it down from from a standpoint of the entire game, the entire roster, and all of it. But this game also deserves the merit of just having a really good basketball game attached to it. The Thunder shot 44 from the floor, 40% from three, and 77% at the free throw line. Minnesota shot 48, 48, and 86. SGA was awesome. Anthony Edwards was awesome. Rudy Gobert was incredible. Uh, Stylistically, this, of course, played in Minnesota's favor. Like, of course, this matchup plays toward the Timberwolves. However, while you have to completely acknowledge that the Timberwolves are bigger and they, they have the size to rebound and really exploit that weakness of OKC, it's also very important to notice and to and to you know acknowledge that that lack of size really helped Oklahoma City in Minnesota two weeks ago. Whenever the Thunder were flying around the court and the Thunder had Minnesota uh, you know, kind of in a bind where they just could not handle the pressure and they turned the ball over. Left, right, and center, they turned the ball over. And it allowed the Thunder to get back in that game and win that game in Minnesota. These are two good teams who have played competitive games the entire season. Somebody has to lose these games. And so, you know, while it's going to uh, 
insight, fantastic games, and these two teams are very comfortable jabbing back and forth. You saw Anthony Edwards carry that on uh, in this game post-game. It's also important to realize that in these close matchups, it's never as bad as it seems. It's never as good as it seems. It's oftentimes in the middle. And so I think that there are times where it's appropriate to scope out on this 82-game season. And so let's do that real fast, and then we're going to break into the minutia of this game. Sam Presti, this summer, had a great quote about the sky is going to fall on an NBA team twice a year. Now, at the end of the day, for, for right now, this is just two bad games. The Thunder have never lost more than two games in a row. So you know it's, they're not at that point yet. But even if the sky does fall, and this kind of spirals a little bit, and Oklahoma City loses to Denver because right now Shea and Chet and Dorr are questionable, uh, J-Dub and Isaiah Joe are out. That's how the NBA works. That is expected. It's expected top to bottom within all 30 organizations. It's expected between you know the, the media that, that covers this sport and the fans who follow it yearly. You expect a situation like this to occur even twice a year when you go through these kind of slumps. And then you take it back even further. In the month of January, the Thunder will play 17 games, the most you are legally allowed to play in the NBA. That'll include five back-to-backs and 11 road games. Every team goes through this. Last year, the Thunder went through this at one of the worst times you can go through it. In March, in a, in a competitive you know, play-in race, they went through it, and it really hurt them, and they dropped games that they shouldn't. And, and uh, they were able to rebound, of course, and get to the play-in and, and have a very successful season, but it did happen last year. For as good and fun as we look back on last year being, this still happened to them. And it happens to everyone every year. Like it's going to happen. Now, the fact that's happening now, actually, you know, if this does continue to, to, to go the way it's trending, actually is better for the Thunder because you have that natural pause, that natural break coming up with the All-Star break. So I think that the Thunder are going to have to get creative tonight against Denver. And I believe that they're probably going to have to get creative, you know, at least until the All-Star break, if not longer, to, to kind of counteract the damage done with this schedule. But I think that it's important at times to kind of look at this from a full scope view because we can get so into the weeds of just going day to day and living game to game and kind of zeroing in on each game as it happens. And then you take a step back and realize this had been, this has been a brutal stretch for the thunder. This has been a brutal stretch. So whenever you look at guys missing shots short and you look at, you know, Chet, for example, it's easy to point to the fatigue and it's not even necessarily um, an excuse the way that it sounds more so as an explanation. And I would much rather be able to be critical or, or talk about a team's weakness from a standpoint of explanations than from a standpoint of there's just no, there's just no cause or correlation. There's at least a correlation to why you're seeing the thunder in these last two games, not play up to their standard, not play up to where they want to be at. It isn't as though they just fell off of a cliff or forgot how to play basketball or all of a sudden none of this works and they have a bad roster. It's just the simple fact of how the NBA flows each year and the dichotomy of scheduling. And, you know, part of it is due to the in-season tournament Marcus talked about before of that's kind of thrown things into whack where you're seeing that because of the in-season tournament scheduling where they had to leave some dates open and you had a ton of off days in December, you're paying for that now in January, and every team is paying for that now in January, and that's why you're seeing this scoring explosion also across the NBA. Like, like, that's why you're seeing 70-point games, because you just 
cannot get the motors going and get the gears turning each night whenever you're trying to cram these games in um, you know, across the league. And it's especially hitting home uh, for Oklahoma City in this stretch of playing 17 games, uh, you know, most you can play. Five back-to-backs in a single month, you know, the most you can do, most in the NBA. And I think that there's at least a rational explanation for why things have kind of turned. Now, let's talk about Josh Giddey. Let's talk about all the topics that that, that uh, you know came from this game. But I thought that it was important to kind of recenter uh, the conversation from a full scope view before we get into that. But first, I want to tell you right now about our good friends over at eBay Motors. Check them out today at eBay Motors because eBay Motors is here for you. Uh, with Lockdown Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd, they're teaming up together uh, to make sure that you have the best uh, picks each week to help you out and help you win all season long. Because just like with eBay Motors, no matter if you're doing a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire every week, they're going to get you the guaranteed fit for your roster to win a championship. eBay Motors will get you the guaranteed fit to help your ride and keep your ride alive. So Josh Lloyd gave us his lineup of players he would keep an eye on. You have uh, Ayo DeSumo, you have Jared Vanderbilt, Josh Hart, Paul Reed, Aaron Neesmith. I personally would go with Paul Reed. For as long as Joel Embiid is out with this knee soreness injury, uh, B-Ball Paul is going to be an elite fantasy ad for you. So you can kind of get in on the margins there. Uh, Aaron Neesmith is also a really good uh, bet as well. So check out Josh Lloyd. Lockdown Fantasy Basketball is going to help you win your championship, but eBay Motors will help you build a championship car and keep your ride or die alive and getting trophies for you because they have over 122 million parts to choose from and they have what you want with your car from brake lights to LED headlights to uh, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby could need. eBay Motors has it for you. eBay Motors guaranteed fit. Uh, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at eBay Motors. Guaranteed fit only uh, available in U.S. Uh, for customers. Eligible items only and exclusions do apply. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder and this loss to Minnesota. Let's talk Josh Giddy. This is the biggest uh, takeaway from the game and something that I think, you know, it's of course going to be addressed for the rest of the season and beyond. Josh Giddy starts this game three for three. And this is a perfect illustration of what we've been saying on this show all year long. As you point to the improved three-point percentage, as you point to that hot shooting in December, I always pushed back on that being his swing skill. I do not believe that Josh Giddy's swing skill as an NBA player is shooting the three ball because he starts three for three. And that does not change one bit of how Minnesota is respecting him or defending him. Uh, and, and that just kind of shows where if you can start to become a more all-around player and finish in the mid-range and, and, and finish at the rim and become a more respected offensive weapon, uh, it's going to pay off in the long run, more so than threes. Because you know, you, you look at this game, he shot 42% from three. If you had a 42% season average, you, you would be a fantastic three-point shooter. Uh, and, and Josh Kitty has gotten up to that 40% number uh, in long in long stretches this season, three for seven in this game. But when you start three for three and it does not move the needle at all defensively, as you increase the volume of those shots, they're most likely not going to go in. As you saw, that he went three for three to start and didn't make another one. Uh, so that, that's a great bet for the opposition. So you'll give away those nine points for the sake of getting to play the way that they got to play. They'll give you the nine points. And, and they'd, they'd honestly start down nine nothing if it guaranteed them that, that, that you could play with Rudy Gobert in the paint and playing him off of, of Josh Giddy and just literally putting 
one of the best rim protectors we've ever seen. You cannot like Rudy. You can you can uh, not be a fan of him, but you have to respect the fact that he's one of the best rim protectors in the world, and that we've seen at this level. And so, whenever you're looking at this as Minnesota, right? Sure, he burns you three for three to start, but whenever you're defending a team that's built around driving and kicking and scoring at the rim, you'll gladly take that. And so that's what we've been driving at all season long as everyone's pushed back on his three-point percentage improving. It doesn't move the needle that much because you're comfortable with it. There's never going to be a game, with all due respect to Josh, where he shoots seven for seven from three or where he just busts a game wide open from three. He shot three for seven. That's a respectable number. And it did not matter. It just didn't. Five for 10 overall, four rebounds, two assists, a block, a turnover, 13 points, and a minus 17 on the court. The conversation around Josh Giddy to me is just that there are certain matchups where he's not playable. And there are certain matchups where that, that do not favor him. Denver, for example, will be another tough one if they can have everyone available. We'll see who plays tonight for Denver. But you know, if they're at full strength, it's another tough one. Uh, Minnesota is the worst one for Josh Giddy because he is such an elite uh, you know, rim protector in Rudy Gobert. Now, whenever you play a team, for example, that lacks that rim presence, much better matchup for Josh Giddy, much more playable and, and a perfect matchup for Josh Giddy. But when you have someone who can really, really defend the rim, uh, like an Aaron Gordon, for example, if you, if you let Aaron Gordon roam around off of Josh Giddy or Jokic or whoever you want to pick in this uh, situation, that helps so much. And for Minnesota's case, it's unique because not only can they have Rudy roam off of Josh Giddy, but their other four defenders are vastly switchable and, and incredible defenders to where they take care of the perimeter really well and funnel everything in the, into Rudy. And he just takes things away at the rim, even beyond blocks at just simply deterrence and just uh, making you, making you reevaluate driving. Uh, so, you know, when it comes down to whenever you're playing a team with good rim presence, Josh Giddy is not going to be a Sharpie guy. Like you're not going to Sharpie in minutes for Josh Giddy. That's not who he is as a player at this point in his career. Josh Giddy is a pencil and minutes guy and be ready to adjust on the fly. And that's okay. Not everyone can be a star. Not everyone can be an all-star, superstar, upper echelon player where you're going to give them 30 minutes no matter what. That's not everyone's role in the NBA. It's rare that you see you know, teams have a ton of those guys on the same roster. And so whenever, you, whenever we acknowledge that not everyone can develop at the same rate and not everyone can develop in the same environment, not everyone can develop in the same structure or at the same time, then it's easier to look at this with a you know kind of more balanced viewpoint as long as the thunder continue to follow through which they've not been shy about uh benching Josh Giddy down the stretch of games as long as they continue to do that and even you know you can argue that they should tweak it a little bit more but still everything will fall into place as it goes but yes this matchup against Minnesota is insanely tough for Josh Giddy it's not a favorable matchup but you know what when you, on the same token, when you look around the NBA, you're going to be able to find tough matchups for every player and, and matchups where they're not going to thrive for every player. Uh, but the frustration, of course, is there. But we also at the same time cannot spend all summer long during the draft process talking about how all these picks will pan out, you know, and, and like all these picks won't pan out and you just want more bites at the apple and all these buzz phrases and then not follow through with them as seasons unfold, as things happen. And so with Josh Giddy, there are matchups where he's going to play really well. There's also matchups like Minnesota where he's just not going to be fit for, for the for the game. And that's what it was. He was not able to play his best game against Minnesota. 
with Lou Dort, I think that it's a kind of different conversation. The panic around Lou Dort right now, I think, is vastly overblown. 0 for 7 from the floor, 0 for 6 from 3. He missed a ton of good open looks, uh, and, and they played off of Dort because of it. But he you know, had two points, three boards, three assists. Don't throw the baby out on, uh, with the bathwater on this one. Like, like, do not look at Lou Dort's performance here. Even in this cold streak of shooting, he's still shooting 39% from the three-point line this season. Still a career in a year for him. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He has the challenge of defending the top and best scores in the world nightly, and he had a 17-game sprint of doing that when you're supposed to have a marathon sport of playing 82 games in those off days and everything else. That is really going to impact your legs, which is obviously really going to impact your shot. And furthermore than that, forgetting about this January excuse, even if you do not want to buy into the schedule thing, which you should because it's a legitimate thing. Lou Dort, of all people on this roster, has proven an ability to rise up in you know, to the occasion in the postseason, to play his best basketball in the postseason, and to provide his best value in the postseason. Whenever you shrink the game to a half-court setting and you need to have lockdown possessions on the top scores in the world, you need players like Lou Dort, especially whenever he can catch fire from three, especially whenever now he's playing in a more uh, in a more role that is more efficient for him uh, to score the basketball and not try to do too much, not try to uh, press the issue. So I think that, yes, it is frustrating whenever you're in the heat of a 48-minute game and you see you know, big-time shots, open looks getting missed from three, and there's been a couple games where Lou Dort has not shot the ball well from three despite shooting 39% uh, from beyond the arc. But that's not cause for wholesale change to me on Lou Dort specifically. Now, you can you know, address the conversation otherwise, but for Lou Dort, I think that it's a little bit too reactionary to, to push the issue on him. Let's talk Chet Holmgren. Let's talk SGA, who played very well. J-Dub, Wiggins. We're going to get into it all on this game, including who I thought was the most underrated player in this contest. But first, I want to tell you right now about our good friends over at LinkedIn. Check them out today at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. They're there for you, uh, getting you set. Because as a small business owner, you, know, you can be looking at this and asking yourself the same question. What's the one move I can make that will take my business to the next level in 2024. LinkedIn knows that your, your success is all dependent upon the people that you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn is a cast of networks uh, to help you uh, find more than a billion professionals to make everything easier and the best place to hire uh, for your business. What I love about LinkedIn Jobs for small businesses is that LinkedIn Jobs is the number one delivering qualified hires versus leading competitors, and they're going to match you with these qualified candidates within 24 hours, where they're going to help you get to those great options quicker, and you're not going to have to sit through and go through and sit and uh, sift through some non-relatable you know, applicants. So check it out today at LinkedIn.com. Uh, when you do, go to LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNBA. You can post your job for free there at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. Terms and conditions do apply. Check them out today. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Subscribe across all podcasting platforms, including on YouTube, so you never miss an episode. Follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. And let's continue diving into this game. Let's talk Chet Holmgren. You know, 
he looked fatigued in this game. Like he looked very fatigued. It looked as though he was lacking his legs and didn't have a ton of lift on his shots. You know, he won't make any excuses, but when you look at Chet Holmgren's season, he has not missed a single game this year. Coming off of an extremely serious injury, that is an amazing display of endurance right there and, and kind of durability. Because I want you to take yourself back. This is more of a big picture pod. Take yourself back to October 1. The conversation around training camp, the conversation around the preseason was all predicated and built on the back of would Chet Holmgren play in any back-to-backs? Is he going to be allowed to play one back-to-back if the Thunder really needed him? What's his minute restriction? What's his workload? That was the conversation October 1. And if I told you on October 1, Chet Holmgren would play in every back-to-back and not miss a game leading into you know, leading into January 31st, you would have signed on the dotted line faster than I could get you the pin. So it's been impressive to watch him go through this. And I think that because he is such a focal point of what the Thunder do and such a key piece in their success, that it's easy to forget he's also a rookie. And he's going through normal things like a rookie wall that every rookie hits around this time. As you've played more games now than you've ever played in your life in one single season at any level. The all-star break will be huge for Chet Holmgren. And that's where, before we talk about some of the stuff that happened in this game, overall, this is still a fantastic year from Chet Holmgren. And this recent dip where he's not been good offensively is explainable. And that's where you really want to evaluate players. Is it explainable? Because if it is explainable, uh, you know, within these constructs of like a perfect one-to-one reason why these things might be happening, it makes it, it makes the rest of the previous good parts and the previous good of his year be more apt to translate and carry over once the fatigue issue is solved. Four points, seven rebounds, two assists, 0 for 2 from 3, 2 for 9 from the floor. Like that, that is not a good game offensively for him. My only big criticism of Chet Holmgren offensively, and this has been a common theme this year that we've discussed, is that there are times where the ball gets swung to him at the three-point line, he's wide open. And off that catch, like the moment he catches it, he's already stepping toward the next offensive action and looking to funnel the basketball elsewhere. Whenever it creates, and that's what creates these awkward like plays and awkward videos of Chet being all alone, but passing it up, it's because if you go back and watch those possessions, it's kind of a predetermined motion. It's as if it's like one fell swoop of, of continuing to move the ball along into a new action. And while that's great and that's unselfish and it leads to some fantastic plays uh, because of it, there's also times where you want to, you know, appropriately view the floor and how you're being defended and catch it thinking to shoot first. And then you can pivot into uh, getting the offense going if the defense recovers in time or if you don't have as much space as you thought. But when you automatically make that decision, you put yourself in such a tough spot because once you start that motion, right, and you get off balance to go and dribble towards somebody for a dribble handoff or just simply to pass the rock somewhere else, it's then incredibly awkward to get back into a shooting motion Whereas if you're in a shooting motion first on the catch, then you can easily pivot to those other things, you know, quickly even if the shot ends up not being there. So that's what I'd like to see from Chet. And again, saying that 
we have no idea how Chet's being asked to, be, to, to handle these situations or what the game plan is specifically. We make educated guesses based upon talking to the coaches and players and, and watching every game intently and watching it multiple times in my case. But there still is that level of, of we don't know for a fact why he's doing it, but that's just something that I've observed that I would really you know be curious about. Uh, you know, He's not been good on, on offense, but I really think that when you watch his shots fall short, those are clear, clear signs of fatigue and clear, clear signs of like losing it in your legs for a little bit in this tough stretch. Uh, and he is questionable against Denver. Uh, we'll see if he plays against Denver on Wednesday. But uh, defensively, he made some awesome plays. Like that two-on-one fast break recovery, you can talk all day long about the contact with Ant, but just talking about him showing on the left side of the lane, flipping the hips and getting over to Ant to contest at the rim, just getting a contest is vastly impressive uh, to, to do that. And it shows that he has those elite hips uh, to, to flip them. And, and, and it really allows him to be that high end defender. Then his block on Ant where, where Anthony Edwards just kind of seals him off with his body. But Chet is so long that he can get, get blocked off by Ant's body, but still get to the basketball and throw it off the glass without fouling. That's impressive stuff. That's like top tier, a you one, know, a stuff uh, that he's able to do. SGA had an MVP game. 37 points, seven rebounds, eight assists, two steals, two for three from three, 15 for 16 at the free throw line, 55% from the floor. He is the ultimate craftsman in the NBA. SGA is the ultimate craftsman in the NBA. Using Rudy Gobert's leverage against him uh, because Rudy Gobert is playing up high and strong and walling up at the rim, and he's kind of overzealous on this on his first contest attempt, and then SGA just uses that to his advantage, stepping through for a scoop layup. Uses his body so well to initiate contact toward defenders and bump them off their spot, which is what you have to do to be a high-level rim scorer. Uh, the up and under move has been a massive thing for him all year long, and you've seen it get set up because he's shown you over the course of this season, over the course of last season in his career to this point, because he's shown you that at any spur of the moment, he can rise up and take a shot on any part of the court, all three levels. He is comfortable shooting the basketball. He can do it in the blink of an eye. You have to respect his pump fakes because he can pull up at the nail. He can pull up at the elbow. He can pull up in the mid paint. He can pull up on the dunker spot. He can pull up at the restricted area. He can do those things, and he has done those things on the baseline, step back threes. You have to respect those fakes because those fakes are legitimate. There are certain, like if you saw, for example, Steven Adams tease a step back three, no one would fall for that. You know, just using that as an obvious, goofy example. But like though, if you've never done something in your career or something, you're not going to fall for that fake. But because SGA has set all this stuff in motion with his previous you know, bag, so to say, it allows that up and under move and that step through move to be more effective. How fast he can spin and shoot out of a spin move. One of the best I've seen doing that uh, in, in the NBA. The playmaking aspect of his game is huge. It's really grown for him, especially as he gets more defensive attention than ever before. This is what MVPs look like. And, and we can talk about his MVP case. I still believe that he is the leader in the clubhouse right now. When you factor in Joel Embiid's injuries and uh, the, the requirements for games played, which plays a part in this, but also SGA just on his own, regardless of, of how many games anyone's played in the NBA, uh, has has built himself a fantastic MVP case. J-Dub, I, I think he was good in this game. 20 points, two rebounds, three assists, two turnovers four for seven from three. He just provides those energy giving plays, timely threes, the alley-oop to, to get on a, a nine to two run ignites the crowd and really starts off this game hot 
uh, what became a playoff level game. It was a playoff level game on the court. It was a playoff level game atmospherically. Uh, it, it was just awesome. He did a lot of things well, like the delay cuts from him are special where he acts like he's going to flare out to the corner uh, and just kind of set up a play and set up an offensive shell. And then from that kind of almost, almost walk paced to the three point line, he just darts down baseline back door cutting to the rim. That stuff is special from him uh, to get some easy buckets. Uh, his touch you know, was a bit off. I think that the shortness again, factors in with the legs and fatigue, but overall I thought he did a really, really good job. And, you know, he settled for some tough looks, but those are tough looks that he's made before. And so like the, the margin of if a, if a shot rims in or out, I think at times can get overblown. I think that the biggest thing from J-Dub is his emotional leadership. In a game like this, especially, so whenever you have a player, you know, who will wear his emotions on his sleeve, it gets the crowd back into it. It gets the team into it. And he's one of the guys that you look at as like the guy and the face of the emotion of the thunder. Because, you know, Chet and, and, and SGA and other players, while they can be expressive, their their expressiveness is, is so captured because it's so rare. You know, SGA can go have the, the, the highlight play of the game in the second quarter, and you, know, you cut to him and you look at him, and it's just a ho-hum bucket for him. Whereas with J-Dub, he can, he can make a great play and, and feed into your energy because of it. And I think that that is something that the Thunder really need and that he provides them really well. Um, you know, because like naturally, you know, it's, it's, that is a, that is a role where you can't fake it. Like you, if you're not a natural passionate person like that and energetic and energetic and uh, emotional person like that, trying to make that happen for you comes off as forced and is not believable with Jada, it comes off so authentic and it really works every time uh, for the sake of like turning games or stopping runs um, and, and really getting the crowd into it and getting the team fired up. Uh, Wiggins was awesome. Seven points, four rebounds and assist a steal. His best play of the night was this, this fantastic follow-up put back on a miss where like the miss caromed off the rim and like floated in the air for what felt like 15 seconds. And Wiggins was the only one to time it up par- uh, properly for the putback. Uh, Jay will, I think was much better than his box score will indicate. Jay will, um, really improved in drop coverage in this game, specifically whenever he could play off of Kyle Anderson. Uh, that was whenever he made his bread and butter. He had two official blocks, but some really, really good rim deterrence uh, in this game. He had a great positional charge that was not called, and it was called a play on. You know, I think that that was one of the worst calls of the night from the officials on a night where people are complaining about the refs. I, I just don't agree with the fact that of that being a play on, especially with the new flop rules. It either had to be a charge or a block or a flop. Like It could not have been nothing on that play. And that would have been another rim stop for him. I think had they called something there uh, one for three from the floor over one from three. Uh, he was a really good option for OKC again in this matchup off the bench. And he spelled Chet Holmgren very well. Isaiah Joe was fantastic, but he did leave the game early due to an injury, which I think that was not expressed a ton uh, in the moment. Uh, and, and it kind of led to some questions, but he left with a, a stern a sternum bruise, which will hold him out of Denver. Him and J-Dub are already ruled out for Denver. Uh, Chet, and Ludor and SGA are questionable for Denver. But Isaiah Joe in this game was fantastic at, at fighting for rebounds as he's been all year long. Uh, he got a shot off in the mid-range, which really shows how he can bend a defense. He knocked down some big threes. Isaiah Joe is really, really good. MVP of this game, SGA. Up next, Thursday, let's recap the Nuggets game. Friday, a special guest joins the show. Saturday, Hornets recap. And Monday, Raptors recap. All coming at you. 
some uh, great stuff coming out, special announcements coming out soon. Going to be a lot of fun. Cannot wait for you to follow along uh, all rest of the season long and beyond because we are here five days a week for you all year long, all season long, off season long. Trade deadline next week is going to be a ton of fun. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcast from, including on YouTube. Uh, until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another.